0: You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. Last week, we started a series called Fear Not. We're talking about fear, walking through what it looks like, what is is the basis for all of that. I got a couple of fun ones uh, for us, but... Um, how many know this one, arachnophobia? Who's, who's scared of spiders? Anyone? Who's scared of spiders? You're not being honest in church? Who's scared of spiders? Okay. There we go. All right. Um, what about ophidiophobia? I don't know if you know this one, you're smarter than me. It's snakes. Who's scared of snakes? Okay. All right. Um, what about acrophobia? Acrophobia? It's a fear of heights. Anyone? Yeah. You're like, oh yeah, that's me all day long, bro. Um, what, maybe some younger people. This is nomophobia. It's a real one. This is the fear of leaving home without your cell phone. You're like, Oh, I get it. All right. In fact, that I just realized I don't have mine. I'm going to go home. Um, uh, plutophobia. This one I don't get, but, uh, if someone struggles with it, come talk to us afterwards. It's the fear of money. I don't understand that. If you're like, I don't know. Yeah. Talk to somebody, give your money away. That's fine. Um, Pogonophobia is the fear of beards. Is this really a thing? The fear of beards. Like I don't, beards are, are awesome. Um, unless you can't grow one in, in one day. Uh, this one is, this one's comical to me because I'm not even gonna try to pronounce it. Uh, I'm just gonna call it the hippopotamus one. Um, that's one word. It's the fear of long words, <laughs> which scientists are funny right? They nicknamed or they named the fear of long words, something I'm not even going to try to pronounce, um, or phobophobia, the fear of fears, which I, does that mean all of them? None of them? I don't get it. Um, all right, but for real, like we kidding aside, like, like real fears, not just like the fear of cats, which is a godly one, but, um, but like when we're, when we're talking about fear, it's not just the, like the little things we face. Like we wanna talk actually about the, the power that fear has. The real things that we didn't even know that we needed to fear until we found out about them. I do this to my wife all the time. I'll read an article of something terrifying and I'll send it to her. And she's like, I didn't know I had to be afraid of this, but now I do, thank you. Um, like, okay, this is for you, face mites. You ever heard of face mites? Apparently we all have bugs on our face. Yeah, go home, look that up, sleep well tonight. Um, they're horrible. Yeah, we all have bugs in our face. Um, but like legitimate circumstances that we wrestle with. The, the things that are not just like, oh, it's, a, it's an object or it's a thing that I'm afraid of. But what about the stuff that keeps us up at night? What about the things that, that, that just lay heavy on our hearts and our minds, that consume our thoughts, that take all of our energy to keep us awake in the middle of the night, the constant nagging or worry or anxiety that we face on a daily basis. Because think about it. We are pulled mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually in a thousand different directions every day. We live on a 24-hour newsfeed. There's constant access to your time and attention. There's countless responsibilities to juggle. Uh, If you're a parent, you've got kids, you've got job, you've got all the different things to manage. You're you're stressed out of your mind. You've got all these different things weighing on you. There's there's loved ones, there's relationships, there's work. There's all of these different things that weigh on us, that consume our thoughts, that bog us down, that feel like it's a mess, that it's impossible, that we're stretched thin, underrested, overworked. Now, one, I'm not going to assume, or for you to assume that I'm some kind of expert when it comes to mental health. I'm anything but that. Um, but what I want to unpack today, as we as we read God's word, is is what is our proper response when we feel stuck in fear or worry or anxiety. What do we do with that? How do we navigate through those waters? Uh, one, if if that's you. If, if what I just talked about, you're like, I, I resonate with that. I feel stuck. I feel overwhelmed. I feel constantly in my thoughts that I just can't escape from it. I feel heavy laden all the time. Uh, two things I want you to know. One is that you're not alone. Okay? You're, you're not alone in this. And the second thing is that you weren't meant to live life that way. God did not design us to live our lives stretched so thin, overwhelmed and overworried and burdened that way. In fact, you're not alone because uh, based on a 2005 Stanford University study, um, people smart, uh, we have on average somewhere between 12 and 60,000 thoughts per day. Now, in my mind, that's like pretty high. I'm like, maybe I'm like in the 400 category. I don't know. But between 12 and 60,000 thoughts every day, 90 to 95% of those thoughts are actually carryover thoughts from the day before. Are things that you, you thought the day before and some of those you thought the day before. So 90 to 95% of those thoughts that you think in a day are not new thoughts, but they're recycled thoughts. And out of that number of thoughts, estimates are somewhere around 80% of all of our thoughts are negative. Think about that. The 80% of what you and I think on a daily basis usually is negative in connotation. Now, who are my optimists in the room, right? All right. Where are the pessimists? Who's lying? No. Uh, where's like, there is no glass. I'm just kind of, it is what it is. I'm going to shoot you straight. Okay. All right. Wow. You guys are more heavily in the, than this service. Um, in 2019, two out of three Americans said they were anxious or extremely anxious. It was pre-COVID. Two out of three said they were anxious or extremely anxious. 91% of high school and college students report consistent and significant levels of anxiety associated with stress. That's a lot. So if, if 91% of even just young people are, are to the point where they say they are, they are consumed by stress and by anxiety, we have to, I mean, this brings new light to Paul's encouragement to like be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Because our mind plays a massive role in this. Now, like I said, I'm not a mental health expert. We're not gonna begin to unpack all of this. I'm not gonna, uh, the worst thing I could do in the world is to try to, if you're wrestling with anxiety, for you to hear and be insulted, the idea that you just need to pray it away, or you need to have enough faith, or you just need to open God's word and that it's all gonna magically in a moment change. For some people it could and it may, but for some it's, it's, it's a daily struggle. And so what I want to do is, as we read God's Word, I want to unpack some, some principles, some, some, some practices uh, that jump out in this. Um, so, if, uh, really, before we get to the verse, actually, if, you're, if you plan ahead, we're going to be in the Old Testament today, Second Chronicles chapter 20, if you want to flip there. Uh, but really, at the end of the day, there's, there's two categories of fear, right? If we were to boil it down, there is fear that drives us away from God. And there's fear that draws us near to God. Those are the two main categories of this. Think about in the garden, right? The Garden of Eden, everything's perfect. Um, There was a fear in Eve that God was withholding something from her. Serpent convinced her that she needed to eat from the tree. It was this this fear of missing out that, that if I follow God's ways, that God is withholding certain blessings from me. And so that fear led to sin. And all sin, we can mainly trace its roots back to fear. It's the fear that we can't get uh, that we can get things outside of God's ways, that we can get things better than trusting God's ways. And then what's their response? They, they hide, they realize they're naked and so they hide from God. They're playing hide and go seek with God, it just doesn't work. And God calls them out and says, where are you? And we see this, we see this in Exodus, we see this throughout scripture that, that there is a fear of God, right? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That is a natural and right and the only response. When we as sinful, broken people encounter uh, the presence of a holy, perfect, all-powerful God, the only natural response can be fear. Look at it in scripture. When just someone encounters an angel, they fall down, they're like, I'm dead. That's it. I'm dead. My life is over. But yet in those, God says, but fear not. And so there's a, when we see God in the proper perspective, he says, hey, you don't You don't have to fear. We fear him, but we don't walk in fear. So 2 Chronicles chapter 20, uh, there's gonna be three principles that we're gonna unpack um, as we go through this narrative. But I I love this story in 2 Chronicles, uh, the story of Jehoshaphat. So we're gonna start in verse one. There's a lot of text. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. We're gonna be reading from the uh, New International Version today, as we have been lately. Our verse one says, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. If you're looking for a baby name, just keep that one in mind. Okay. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already at Hazan, Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. The first change that we see in this is the change the setting. Change the setting. When we wrestle with fear, if you wrestle with anxious thoughts, of the greatest things we can do is to actually just step out of our circumstances, step out of their current setting and get a different perspective. What's probably an understatement of the year or understatement, maybe not of the year, but understatement in this is there's a massive army coming against him and he's like alarmed. Um, I don't know if that just means like terrified out of your mind, screaming around yelling, but his response, he's alarmed, but he decided to inquire of the Lord. I would love to say that this is my response in most fearful situations, in most chaotic circumstances that, you know what, alarmed, Matt resolved to inquire of the Lord. Just calm and cool. No, Matt usually freaks out, says something he shouldn't say, reacts strongly, and then is like, why did I do that later? Is that just me? No, none of you guys are perfect? Cool. Um, it wasn't his last ditch effort. It was his first response. His first response in the midst of being faced with something that's bigger than him. There's an army that's gonna kill all the people. And he's like, what do we do? Now, natural response in the natural would be like, all right, let's start counting soldiers, let's hand out swords, let's get bows, let's get arrows, let's find some bazookas, they're not invented yet, let's find them, like, let's do all this stuff count the people, get them ready because there's an army that's really close by that's going to attack us. But his first response wasn't seeking the Lord as a, I've exhausted myself and now I'm going to ask God. But as before we do a single thing is a recognition that God, you are bigger than anything I face. You are outside of time and space in the beginning, God, like God has always been. And so I'm going to, if I'm going to get perspective from anyone, it's going to be God, not from my limited viewpoint. We have to be aware of what's fueling and feeding our fear. What's fueling and feeding our anxiety. Is it situational? Is it relational? Is it, is it something biological? One of the most like wisest things that you could do is if you're wrestling with this, is to, is to go see a counselor. Go see a licensed professional. There is not weakness in needing help. Maybe it's seeing a doctor. Maybe it's getting, getting a mentor. Maybe it's actually committing to spend more time in God's word, but whatever it is, find a way to change the setting. Like yesterday, we were, we were at the house most of the day, but man, just like, I'm so ready for winter to be done. I just sat on the front porch and just like felt the sunshine on my face like I've been in a cave for seven years of winter, it feels like. But just something about just being outside, about just changing your environment makes you feel different, makes you react different, respond differently. If you find yourself constantly meditating and ruminating on the fear, on the situation, on what you're facing, may I encourage you to find time to step back, to, to change the setting, to get away from, from, from all of the thing that is fueling it and stoking the fire, and to actually gain more perspective. All right, let's keep going. Uh, the second thing to change is to change the dialogue. Change the dialogue of what's happening in your heart, in your mind, in your head. Verse uh, five, let's keep going. It says, then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord and in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors. Now, if you are like a type A and time is precious, right? You're like, there's stuff to do. There's no time to waste. And people who are sometimes just in their feelings, they drive you crazy. Does anyone know what you don't want to nod because they're next to you? Okay. So like, if you're in a hurry, this moment of an army's coming, and you're like, you know what, we're gonna stop and we're gonna pray. It's like, ha, ah, you know, immediately your blood pressure is going up. But there's something so foundational in this. Before everyone says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms and the nations. Power and might are in your hand. And no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes like today whether by the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and we will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them and see how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. That's not the line in the pep talk you want to give. We have absolutely zero power. It is when it follows with this. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What is Jehoshaphat doing? He's changing the dialogue. We could sit around all day long and we could talk about the army. We could talk about strategies. We could talk about weapon. We could talk about training. We could talk about all the things. But instead of that, he shifts the dialogue and says, hey God, here's who you are. All the people, be reminded of how powerful our God is. The fact that we are here in this land is because God promised us this land and we are in the land that God promised as a possession for us. And the people that are coming to attack us are the very people, God, that you told us not to attack, to not go in their area. And here they are coming to attack us. There's an important discipline of reminding our hearts, our minds, our souls of who God is. This is not Jehoshaphat giving God a reminder of who he is. This is him declaring who God is over their circumstances, over the people that he's been appointed to oversee. He's changing the dialogue. Dr. Caroline Leaf, uh, she's a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist with a master and a PhD in communication pathology, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology I have no idea what any of that means other than she's smart, okay? I say that to say she knows what she's talking about. She said, uh, it has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to an extent that it can actually be measured on a brain scan. Let me say that again, that just 12 minutes a day of daily intentional prayer over an eight-week period can have a physiological response on your brain that can actually change the makeup on it that can be seen on a brain scan, meaning that there's transformation in the renewing of our mind. What we experience is not in control of the dialogue. This is not think happy thoughts, okay? This is not like all the the pessimists in the room are mad right now. This is not that. It's not just think rainbows and cupcakes and unicorns and everything's fine. But this is saying, instead of focusing on what we see, maybe we should focus on God's truth and let God dictate the, the dialogue. And you know what? If we don't determine the dialogue in our heart, in our head, you know who will? The enemy. And he's gonna tell you it's hopeless. He's gonna tell you you're stuck. He's gonna tell you you're never gonna change. Your circumstances will never change until you give up hope. But we get to change the dialogue. Philippians four says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Meaning the peace of God, Matt's translation, that don't make sense. God's peace doesn't make sense. That's how we know it's God's peace. Because in the middle of the tragedy, in the middle of the overwhelming situation, you've got peace. That's not just you mustering up positive thoughts. That's the peace of God because you're dwelling on God's promises. You're dwelling on God's truth. So we should shift the dialogue. The third thing to change is we change the posture. Change the posture. Let's keep going in verse uh, 14. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, a Levite, and the descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. That's a great thing, right? Somebody else is going to come in and fight? Like, man, that's cool. So, tomorrow, march down against them. What? If it's God's fight, well, he's like, well, you, you still have to march. It says, they will be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge of the desert of Jerul. And you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Change the posture in this. Something that, that feels stuck and feels, feels hopeless, feels like there's no way out. He's saying, hey, you're gonna go down, but God's going to fight for you. Um, I, I tend to think of myself as, as a handy person at times. Now I know, and compared to some of you guys, you're like, you've got little tykes toys, you know? Um, but I, like when something breaks around the house, my first response is to call somebody. I'm like, I want to fix it first. And if I don't know how, uh, I'll call my brother or I'll look it up on YouTube. And, um, but then there's some projects like that just kind of linger that you just get used to. And, uh, my dishwasher was one of them. So, uh, the springs on my dishwasher, like had, had broken off and that door, like you think they're light, but when yours breaks, it's like an anvil coming down. It was like a little guillotine. Like you would open the door and we had friends that would come over and make fun of us. Like, why are you living like this? Um, because it would come down and it would just, and it would catch you on the back of the ankle or on the shin. Uh, and then if it did it so much, like it loosened the screws. And if you had too many dishes in, that thing would just like a runaway freight car, just like come toppling out, dishes everywhere. That's how we lived our life, guys, okay? Um, and so I looked at how to fix it. And so I looked it up and I was like, oh, it's, it's like, you got to replace the whole thing. And so me not wanting to spend the money, I'm like, we can deal with this. It's fine. You know, Uh, I'll fix it one day. I'll find another way to do it. And I would love to say this happened for a week, but it may have been, my wife's not here to argue. Uh, maybe, maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, maybe two, I don't know. Um, of constant, like every time my kids like open the dishwasher, they're like doing a hang clean, like just trying to ease it down, you know? Um, and so finally, like, um, as all husband and wives do, we had one of those conversations about like stuff that needed to be done around the house and some of the lingering projects that I'm like. And so finally I was like, look, I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna reinvestigate. And so um, I looked it up. I was like, oh, this is really easy. Like I, I ordered some parts on Amazon. Two days later, they showed up and it took me 10 minutes and I fixed it. And today my dishwasher's fixed, y'all. Boom. <laughs> but I was like, why did I wait so long? Why didn't I look at that with a fresh perspective? Because for two years, I was convinced that I had to spend five $800 to buy a brand new dishwasher, and so we're just going to live like this until it broke. Like, like, actually broke, broke. Not just, like, partially broke. You know what I'm talking about. But it was something about just coming to it with a fresh perspective like, let me see if there's anything different I can do. And I I, I wonder in my own life and in your life, how many times we look at situations that we think are hopeless, that are broken, that are destitute, that there's no fixing. And what we actually need to do is to just come with a fresh perspective with open hands before the Lord and ask for his wisdom and say, I've been, I've been laboring with this for years. I've been wrestling with this for so long and, and what I thought is just a way of life, maybe God is wanting to give me a fresh perspective in it. And so this, this incredible posture he takes up is, like, is not boastful and pride of, hey, we're going to go out and storm the hill. But it's this posture of humility. We're going to stand, or, stand under the mighty hand of God. But yet, have courage because we're where he wants us to be. It's this position of, of, of trusting God and trusting him at his word, coming into it with a fresh perspective. Hey, I'm gonna march down and trust that God is going to fight for one of us. But the, be honest, the struggle for all of us, the struggle for me, the struggle for you, it's easy to have faith for other people, isn't it? It's easy for me to teach this, right? It's hard for me to live it. It's easy for you to hear this for your friend that you want to elbow right now, to have faith. But this isn't just about other people, this is about us. Do I have faith to believe God at his word for me? A fresh perspective. And number four, lastly, is to change the soundtrack. To change the soundtrack of what's happening. Verse 18 So Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some of the Levites from the Kohavites and the Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, his love, endures forever. Now, it seems from a very basic standpoint of military strategy is to generally send out your scariest, ugliest, don't ever want to get them angry people to intimidate somebody, especially knowing that we're not going to fight, that we're just going to go stand there and the Lord's going to fight. And so Jehoshaphat talks to other people and say, hey, you know what's a really good idea? Let's get the worshipers and send them out front, Right? I don't know if they had instruments, like the guy with the piccolo in the back, like, hey, go out in front of the line, you know? It's like when you, when you join the armed forces and you join the band, that's kind of like a, a somewhat of a safe role. You're not gonna be deployed on the front line, right? And it's like, no, he's, we're, we're sending them out. That makes absolutely no sense from a logical standpoint to have people singing out. Maybe it's like a, this manly song, like God's gonna smite them, you know, or like... Just something awesome like that, right? Give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. That's not like this big rally cry going into battle. So why do it? I wonder if even the people who are on the front line normally had no other option but to let the praises go first. It wasn't even a, I'm going to try to intimidate. It was completely out of their hands. It was a declaration of God. We are, we are so trusting you at your word that this is your battle. This is your fight that we're going to send the worshipers out first. And we're going to thank you in advance for what you're going to do. That your love endures forever from generation to generation. Changing the soundtrack in our mind. I, uh, like I said, I, I, I don't claim to be an expert at all this, um, anxiety and fear is not something I have, I've struggled with a ton in my life, but I, I remember there was, there was this one week period in 2019 for, for whatever reason, i there wasn't circumstances around it, but out of nowhere, I was hit with just overwhelming anxiety. Like it, 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 it was something I never experienced before. And I was like, what is this? Um, and it was like, felt heavy on my chest I felt my mind was racing, my thoughts were going, and I it just couldn't make sense of everything. Just this like, spirit of heaviness was on me. Um, and it, like I said, it would have been, what's natural sometimes is like, oh, this is happening, this is why I feel this way. Like, I, I know what it is to be stressed. I know what it is to have like, to be anxious at times. Like, I, I know all of those things. Like, I've, I've got three kids. We've been in ministry for a long time. Like, I've, I get like life is, is hard, but it was out of nowhere, which was even harder for me. Um, and, and it lasted about a week and then it went away and I haven't had it since, but it was just this, this very like real sense of, of, I was like, I don't even know why that happened. And, and I don't know if it was for God to give me a glimpse of, of being able to relate with people who, who carry anxiety, but I remember my, the only thing that brought me peace. The only thing in the midst of this was um, I would go outside and I put on my AirPods and I had uh, worship music that I listened to, especially, specifically this one album. And it was the only thing that was like helping restore peace in my heart and my mind. And I can't, I can't explain it, but it was this, this grounding thing that happened where I was reminding my heart, despite how I felt, despite how confused I was of who God is. It was, it was anchoring for me. Um, now, I'm, I'm not just saying that you're wrestling with anxiety. You just need to sing some worship songs and it's going to go away. I'm not going to belittle you in that way. Now, worship is powerful. It is effective. It is a weapon. The enemy is scared of our praises. Like, there, there's power in, in our worship. Um, but there's something significant about reminding our hearts of truth. These aren't just empty words we sing. We're seeing them to to the God of the universe, reminding our hearts of of truth. Um, And for me, the change of the soundtrack, we can listen to how we feel. We can listen to to even other godly opinions. But something about connecting with the Lord was so pivotal for me. Um, And so I wanted to end today with a couple of anchors for us. Look, there's so many passages on fear. Fear. There's so many passages on this, but I think in the midst of when we wrestle, in the midst of when things are uncertain, we need anchors to hold on to. And so these are gonna be on your screen. The verses are not, but the references will, because I want you to go look them up yourself. Um, And I want you to to read these, and I want you to, some of them to commit to memory. Some of them to say it over and over and over again. Write it on your mirror, write it on a Post-it note, say it in the car but here's some anchors for us in the midst of fear and anxiety. 2 Timothy 1:7 says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear or of timidity, but of power, love, and of sound mind. That God has not given us a spirit of fear, that when we feel fearful, that when we are riddled by fear, when we fear that the, the overall story of our life is that we are gripped by fear, that is not a spirit that God has given you that God has given us power, love, and a sound mind. The verse comes to mind that that we take take, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ, meaning that there's things that come into your head that you can't control. The thing that we can control is how long we entertain them and how long we let them stay says literally, like imagine wrestling down a thought and, and, and bounding it up and, and making it obedient to Jesus. He's saying that's how we take captive all these thoughts, the, the, the rogue thoughts that set itself up against the truth of God's word. We have to take those, we have to wrestle them. We have to, whatever you got to do to it, See that is not in line with the nature and the character of God. That we it's 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 work. It's not just say a prayer, it's 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 work, it's the renewing of our mind. Isaiah 23, six, twenty-six three says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. That God keeps us in peace when we when we fix our mind in him, when we trust in him wholeheartedly, like that's that's our center, that's where we're grounded. Like, so we, we need to do things to put ourselves in that posture. We need to read God's word. We need to meditate on it. How can I actively trust God in this moment? How can I fix my thoughts on him? John 14, 25 through 27, words of Jesus. He says, all this I have spoken to you while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said. So Holy Spirit helps us to remember. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives you. And do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That there's a way that the world lays things on you and there's a way that God puts things on us and they're different. That God doesn't give us the way that the world gives God wants us to have peace in our heart. It doesn't mean an absence of trouble. It doesn't mean an absence of problems. There's still real stuff. There's still disease. There's still death. There's still broken relationships. There's there's still chaos. There's still war. There's still all of that, but we can have peace in the midst of it. Peace knowing that it may not end well, but I'm still at peace because I'm where God wants me. And then Romans 8, what verses? All of them. Just read the whole thing. Like all of it's good. Like you just can't, just start at one and just keep going until you're done. Like it's good. Romans 8 starts off with like, therefore now there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Say, hey, we, we once were dead in sin, but now we're alive in Christ. He's given us a new identity. We're hidden in Christ. And then jump down to verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Meaning that no thought we think can separate us from the love of Jesus. No thing that we can face can separate us from the love of Jesus. Not even death itself can separate you from Jesus. So when we are consumed by worry and by fear and we feel distant from God, we feel like he has forsaken us, that he has abandoned us, that's not God writing your story, that's the enemy nothing, no height, no depth, neither angels nor demons, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. That we have a position that cannot be changed by fear, that we have an identity that cannot be changed by fear. We may feel a certain way, but that's not who we are. What you feel is not your identity. It's not define you. God calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. He calls you beloved. We walk in that truth. We trust in him. We change the setting. We change the the dialogue. We change the tone. We change the soundtrack. We change all of these things, believing that that God is the one who orchestrates our steps. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So I want to pray for us today as we close. Father, I thank you that there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. That if we have put our faith in the finished work of the cross, that you have guaranteed our salvation, that all of eternity will be spent with you and nothing can come against that. Lord, I pray for every heavy heart today. I pray for every weary mind that has been grappling and wrestling with fear, with worry, and with anxiety. And Lord, I speak your peace over them right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that our thoughts would be in line with your thoughts. Lord, that we would trust you at your word. That when the enemy creeps in, whether it's in the middle of the night, in the middle of the day, when the, when the thoughts flood in, when we feel short of breath, when our mind is in confusion, Lord, may we find our stay in you. Be reminded that you haven't given us a spirit of fear, of timidity, but of power, love, and of sound mind. And so right now, Lord, I take these thoughts and I make them captive and obedient to you. You have not called me fearful. You have called me loved. You have not called me anxious, God. Because you say, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. So Lord, I pray that we would renew our minds by being fixed on you and on your word, on your character, on your nature. It doesn't mean that the The battle is absent, but it means that the battle is yours. And so, Lord, we stand on the sidelines of our lives trusting you. Lord, let us be faithful with the things you've put in our hands. And, Lord, may we be reminded that you are always faithful with the things that are in yours. So, Lord, we love you. We trust you. And Lord, we pray that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen. Church, we love you. As always, we would love to pray with you. Our prayer team is down front. Pray with you for anything. Church, God bless you guys. Hope you have an incredible week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.